Welcome to the Do Good to Lead Well podcast. If you're passionate about mastering self-leadership, then you're in the right place. I have always been curious about and fascinated by the pursuit of leadership excellence. This is why I pursued my PhD in psychology with a specialization in business, and I've continued to dedicate my career to understanding the science and practice of positive leadership. My name is Craig Dowden, I'm a best-selling author, award-winning keynote speaker, executive coach, and member of the Forbes Coaches Council. Each week, I'll bring you world-class content on the science and practice of positive leadership. Through my conversations with best-selling authors, TED speakers, and top CEOs, you'll be able to leverage their insights and experience so you can maximize your potential and be the leader the world needs you to be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Do Good to Lead Well webinar and podcast series. I'm your host, Craig Dowden, and it's an absolute pleasure to have you here with me this afternoon. I've been really looking forward to this conversation for quite some time. I must express profound gratitude that now, because of your ongoing support and encouragement, we're now rated in the top 1.5% of podcasts in the world, according to list notes, and that cannot happen without you. So this has just been such a privileged journey for me to be a part of this. And a huge part, an equally huge part of how the impact that this has had is because of the conversations that we have with extraordinary chief executives. And as I shared at the outset, I've been really looking forward to this conversation with Sean Kindop for quite some time. And his passion for positive leadership, as you'll quickly learn, shines through. So I'm going to give a quick bio so we can jump right in to our conversation today. So Sean joined the Canadian Western Agribition during the pandemic and as we're navigating through the pandemic in late 2022. And so for those of you who may be unaware, the Canadian Western Agribition is located in Regina, Saskatchewan, and is the largest livestock show in Canada even larger than the Calgary Stampede. It's an international hub of agricultural excellence, hosting over 1,200 international guests from over 63 countries. So Sean personally has a deep passion for creating inclusive and collaborative cultures and streamlining processes. Before taking over his current role, Sean had a number of executive roles, including Director of Corporate Partnerships and Sales for the Regina Exhibition Association Limited, as well as Senior Account Executive of Corporate Partnerships, Regina Pats Hockey Club Limited. So without further ado, Sean, a warm, warm welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Craig, and appreciate the introduction. And again, congrats to you for all of your success as well. Oh, well, thank you very, very much. And I'm really looking forward to this discussion today. And, and just as, uh, as per our custom, Sean has kindly agreed to answer questions from the live audience. So again, take advantage of this opportunity to talk to one of our top CEOs. So please jump into the conversation today. And I was struck by that you, you took over in late 2022. So talk about, I mean, taking on the role of chief executive, it's, it's a fascinating challenge. So we're coming through, continuing to move through a pandemic. There's hybrid, remote work, all of these things happening. So talk to us a little bit about what that's journey been like, and in particular within the Canadian Western Agribition. Yeah, so for me, it was a very unique time to start. So I started in August 2nd with the show was late to November. We were the, we had to move our dates back a week due to Grey Cup. 
So again, you never know what it's like being the first true show as we start to near the end of a tail end of a pandemic, while also following uh, a great couple in the Saskatchewan Riders are a pretty prominent brand in the province. But, but with the, it, it came fast because we were three months out from a show. I hadn't really, I didn't know a bunch of the crew too well. And again, we only have six days to make all of our revenue. You're the face of the organization. It's your first time truly being in front of media. And it was for me, I've never been the face of an organization before. So to come in in three months and try and be able to speak on an organization and lead a team and uh, get people to follow you as we approach, again, our largest revenue time of the year. It was uh, it was an absolute whirlwind, but I had a blast and uh, no better way to learn than being thrown to the fire. If you know, It's so funny you should say that. I was about to say, people talk about trial by fire. If you go to kind of the dictionary, whatever you look for, well, what's that example? It sounds like you perfectly live that. Uh, I mean, I would love to hear a little bit about, so what's that like in terms of, as you say, like across those six days, there's so much of your revenue that's that's connected to that. So how do you, as a chief executive, as a leader of an organization, rally the troops around that and and deal with all of, not just the complexities of putting an event like you have together, also ensuring that alignment and that people are firing on all cylinders because I'm again any misstep can be important. Yeah, and again, being in like the livestock and the country way of things with our organization, I really wanted to try and lead by example. Again, I've I've been I've seen a lot of people come in in leadership roles and do things the wrong way. So I really wanted to be somebody that the people could connect with. So whether that would be setting up the rodeo arena, I wanted to make sure that I was down there with the crew to make sure that there was any issues or to show that you that you're not above them or that you value what they do is they're the ones that make things happen. I have to make sure that you're walking around and shaking hands and saying hello to the livestock exhibitors and just being a member of the team that you're not too good to grab a broom or to, to help where you need. So I really wanted to come in and show that I wanted, that I cared about what they did and that they were very much appreciative because when it gets to crunch time, they're the ones that make things happen. It's not me. One of the things that you shared that I think is so important and insightful for us is about leading by example and being a part of the team. We're all working together. And so what a wonderful way to be able to demonstrate that and to immediately build trust. I've got a question already from Mark saying, really cool that it was your first chief executive role. <laughs> and so just curious about, so what were the, the, the tips, tools, techniques that you used to prepare yourself for that? And and what were some of the quick learnings that that you experienced? Well, so again, a funny story on that, Mark, is when my so I when I got named again, it's a pretty prominent role in our in our community, like Agribition's a it's a big organization for our province and our city. So the media request came in early. So a friend of mine was the CTV morning show host, and he sent me five questions. Here's what I'm gonna ask you. So I was prepared on those five questions. And then he said, we're moving along too fast. So then he threw in a curveball question, which I wasn't ready for. So again, just to, it, was, it was a learning to make sure that you were on your toes. But in terms of from a leadership side, again, having been watched some people come in that didn't do things how I would have done them. I just, I took like the three worst bosses I've ever had that, that you've never forgot of things that they've done. And I've done the opposite. And I wanted to make sure that I was there for the people. And I wanted to be the leader that came in that, I would want as my leader, someone that you can, that you want to go to battle with. You know, I mean, I, like, for me, I truly care if somebody wants to come to work in the morning and if somebody didn't want to come to work and that was because of me, like that would hurt me personally. So I just, again, want to be that person that people believe in, that they talk about in 10 years that 
that was the boss that got them on the right track or that motivated them to do good things, both in their personal life or their professional life. Well, and thank you. And again, comments coming in already in terms of their appreciation. And uh, I'm not surprised, more questions. And it's one that I was, I was going to ask. So Tina mentioned, really appreciate that you highlighted the importance of building an inclusive environment. So what are some things that, that you do to be able to achieve that? So I did a lot of reading during the pandemic. Just again, I wanted, I knew that I wanted the pandemic forced me to have to quit my job and it gets, would put me into a couple of different roles. I was lucky to bounce into an operations manager role and leading more diverse teams. So in that, I just did a lot more reading to understand, but in that I read a good book called Radical Candor by Kim Scott, just about challenge where, where it's okay to challenge your uppers. It's okay for your peers to challenge one another. And that one really resonated with me then. I'm not the one, like I have marketing folks and I have people who manage our international and our accounting thing. They're good at what they do and argue they're better at it than I am. So for that, I just wanted to make sure that if I was saying to do something that if they didn't agree that it's okay to put your hand up and go that I disagree. I think that the best conversations come when two people disagree, but you just need to disagree respectfully, but to encourage that respectful, not conflict, but where it's okay to challenge one another. If I'm not doing it right, put your hand up and say why. And if we have a good debate and maybe they didn't understand my point or I didn't understand theirs, but you have good open dialogue. And that's something that we've really tried to implement here where it's, it's okay to put your hand up and say that you just disagree and debate it. (laughs) <laughs> no, absolutely. Many of my clients and organizations that I work with, certainly radical candor comes out in terms of, okay, an important read and important ideas. And, and not surprisingly, Brian asked a, a question as well around, so how do you get people to buy into that idea? Trust that we are a culture of radical candor. So before these, so when I kind of got in, it was really much rushing to a lot of the show was already planned. So it's a lot of execution and supporting people and showing that you're there to support them. But with it, so and once that year wrapped up, we put everything on the board, what worked, what didn't work, what pieces do we have? So I think what happened is over the, over the course of the pandemic, you, you load up people's plates and you know, instead of hiring people, you're just giving people more and more and more. So we took everybody's roles and put it up on the board. Maybe you don't need to be doing this thing. Like we need we want you to know that we value what you're doing and let's put the people in the right mood, in the right position. So we actually hired some different positions and took a chance on another staff member. We started to change our recruitment and our put them on having only makes your revenue in six days. Like retention for us is big. If we start to lose key players, that hurts the show. And it's, it's so we wanted to make sure that we did some different things. So I came out like immediately what we did is we looked at our, our benefits. We looked at people's salaries we looked at their roles. We implemented a four-day work week and just, we wanted people when they were off to truly be off. Um, I've seen a lot of people struggle. I've, I've had friends throughout the pandemic that were some of the strongest people that I knew that didn't think that depression and anxiety would ever affect them and watched people fall from senior leadership roles because you try to take on too much. So we really tried to learn from some of those experiences and just make it, we care here if you have an okay home life. If there's days that you wake up and you're not okay or that you're struggling. We wanted to make it an environment where you where it's, you feel safe to go, you know what, I'm not having a good day or, you know what, I woke up and I've, I've got some family issues. Like I just, I need the day where we wanted you to go home and take care of your family. And we don't want it to be work. Cause again, if my wife came home saying that 
works the root of her problems, then I'm going to tell her to find another job or find somewhere that she can be herself and that she feels safe and empowered. And that to me is very important. No, and and thank you. And again, more comments coming in around this. <laughs> and also, not surprised there's a question around the four day work week because certainly that's uh, generated steam both here as well as internationally. And so Chris was wondering, like, how did you go about designing that, and what was the thought process behind the construction and implementation? We slowed down a little bit in the summer for certain parts of the business. Again, our sponsorship team is very busy, but we said. I didn't want to people to have to worry. Like if, if we said, you know, you can work from home on Friday. We're all human. We all want to clean our house a little bit to get ready for the weekend. You all want to cut your grass or if it's 32 degrees, there's times you want to have a beer on your deck. So I said, instead of having to babysit that or people worrying if they missed a team's call or if their hair was in a ponytail, we said, you know, we're going to trust you. Let's implement this is because we want it to be a retention piece. So we have relationships and integrity and trust. Leadership are all part of our core values. So I said, let's, let's experiment with this. Said, but if your client needs to, and they can only meet with you on Friday, do your best to take that meeting. But if you have to go to the lake after, go to the lake. Or if you need to do the Zooms meeting from the lake, manage your schedule. And I'm going to trust that you're going to do what you need to do to get the job done. Mm-hmm. We really put it back on the staff to hold each other accountable. So I said, I don't want to have to babysit it. I'm going to put all of the trust in you guys and just... Yeah, get your stuff done. Well, I, I and I really appreciate that perspective, Sean, and and you nailed it with the mentioning of trust, right? Gone. Okay, so you're here, you're fulfilling a role, and you know what you need to do and when and where, and so we're we're trusting you on that. And I find that certainly a lot of conversations that I have is around that feeling that autonomy and feeling valued. That okay, I. I'm being trusted to go and make the decisions I need to make. Yeah. It's an incredibly powerful retention strategy as well. And I'm, and I'm curious, how did people react both to your announcement that you're going to do a 40 work week? And I'd also love to hear what, if any feedback that you received from people around their experience of it. I think that's, that, that'd be fascinating to learn more. So we, were, we were very transparent with the staff. I said, I can't do in being in events that like it's very important for us to, as we start to get to the event time, like we got to start getting back to in the motion of we really turn on in September, October, where like it's busy and it's long hours. So I said, we're going to do 40 work weeks for nine months. You're not going to get a reduce in hours. You're not going to get an increase in pay. But for those nine months, I said, do what you can to be with your families and to just be at home is it's very important is in October, November, people are putting in a lot of long hours and there's some days that there's 16, 18 hour days and it's, but we wanted to say that, Hey, we appreciate all of the time and the effort that you put in. So we want to repay you we are a nonprofit. So I can't do, I can't pay what some places can pay, but what we do want to make sure that we can do is make sure that the, when we're talking the talk, I guess that we're also walking the walk. If we're talking about being a family and that we trust each other, like I want to make sure that what we're saying out there to people to try and recruit them once they start that they also see that we truly do care about you and that we truly are a family and take care of one another and are, are there for one another. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and thank you again, some great comments in the chat in particular, in terms of the trusting, empowering the team members, as well as acknowledging and recognizing the contributions they make and, and to build on that several people commented on this and, and it's a point that I wanted to raise Sean, in terms of once again, if 
we look at going through the great resignation as they right quiet quitting. What's one of the key pieces people feeling unappreciated by their organization or their immediate supervisor. And what I think is really cool about what you're talking about, particularly the underlying philosophy is, Hey, in October, November, September, right? Like it's going to be a, 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 a marathon and a sprint at the same time. Yeah. We're just going head down for three months solid and you're going, we know what your work days are going to be like. And so we're acknowledging those extra hours that you're putting in. And so many organizations you can see where it's like, well, this is expected to fulfill your job. And then that's it. Like there isn't that recognition and what I love and, and, and really can see in terms of what you're sharing is that, well, then people really appreciate it. And I would imagine they step up under those. They're even more excited when the time comes. Is that a fair assessment? For sure. And for, for me, I, I promised when I got this role that I wanted to remember where I came from. That Not too long ago, I was the guy that was the salesperson. And you started to work your way up in your career doing certain things. But there's a chance that, you know what, maybe I don't find another CEO role after this and you're not at the top anymore. So I don't want to burn the bridges and say that I'm the guy at the top and you're going to do what I say. And then your next career comes and then they look at you and go, hey, didn't we it didn't last right. That's not, I just wanted to remember the roots and that there was a time you weren't at the top and to respect the people that are underneath you. And yeah, that, that's just something that I've, I've always tried to remind myself on is just to be you, whoever the, the same person that's in the media is going to be the same person that's going to sit down and have a cup of coffee with you. Well, you've queued up beautifully. My next question, we haven't even rehearsed this. So I'm really, I'm excited to explore that with you. And I think Again, what what I what strikes me when I speak with top chief executives is that focus on legacy and that focus on impact and focus on bigger than self. Like, yes, I'm here. I play a role. I make valuable contributions to the organization, and I'm a I'm a part of a larger community. We're all working together. You talked about being authentic and talked about you know that whoever you are, wherever you are, it's that consistency which I love. So. Tell us more about who is the authentic Sean Kindup. Like, what would it be like if I were a part of your team? What's the things I would love? Maybe some of the challenges <laughs> that I would have. Fine, but for, for me, I want to try to be someone that's genuine and authentic. I mean, I've seen a lot of people who get up to a podium, you know, like, who is that? Like, you're not even the same person. So I wanted to make sure that when you talk to me or when you see a TV interview or any of that, that's just Sean. He's just talking. He's passionate. He's genuine. Like I, I try and be very transparent. If we're going to try and make a decision, I want our team to know it first or that we've talked about it. So they don't go, well, why are you saying these things? We can't do them and they have to execute it. So we try and be very team first. Like I would classify myself as in hockey terms, more of a player's coach, someone that people that have the dressing room instead of just the guy who comes in going, here's what's going to happen. And you know, I mean, I, I don't want people to be looking for new jobs or, but if, if it comes, I want, you know, we're, we're proud of you for getting a new role, but we want to try and build something here and we want to try and grow it. And we're, again, we're proud of who we are and what we are, but it's yeah, very authentic. I think is how I would really, that to me, having someone say that you're genuine is probably one of the best compliments you can get. That's awesome. No, well, and, and certainly in an era today, it's always been important. And yet I would argue that today more than ever before that authenticity, that consistency between word and deed showing up similarly, right? Or the same in different contexts is so valuable. 
end back to a word that you mentioned before being trust. I've got another question. <laughs> so it's great from Cole commenting on transparency. And it's an issue, an idea that Cole's been reflecting on. And so I was just wondering, like, are you ever worried about being too transparent? And how, how do you prepare to have transparent conversations about challenging topics or delivering difficult messages? I love that question. That is a great question. Um, in terms of the transparency, again, not every single aspect of it is, but one thing that we did do is if I've trusted you to do a role and there, there's a lot of people that work for us that are proud of what they do. So we've opened the budgets up. We want everybody to have their input on the budget so that when they make decisions, you know how it affects other other people instead of just having, I want you to be accountable and to grow so that if, if you want to take an elevated position, you understand how the budgeting process works or I trust you to do the job that you can make those decisions. So we try to do a lot of that and just to, I really want to empower them to be able to make it their own. That, that might've been one of my biggest struggles having been a new CEO is you're so used to being a doer that there's times you, again, someone comes with a great idea and the first thing you want to do is fist pump and dive bomb and help them out because you've, you've done it for so long, but you need to, I'm trying to empower a lot more of letting people make it their own and putting their stamp of approval on it and not being the person where they do all the work and then I sign my name to it, like allowing them to sign their name at times and just being proud of the work that they're doing. Well, and again, great. I'm reading great answer. Great answer. Love this. Um, and, yeah, that's right. Woo. What's wonderful is that as you're talking about that, right? Like it's so, it's so such an important piece. It's so valuable when we include people in the thinking and the thought process. And it's interesting. I mean, in a publicly traded company, like there are certain things or there are certain elements that really, you know, you, you cannot because of the board or because you're publicly traded or whatever it is. And then in my experience, though, outside of that, where you're just unable to because of parameters that are in place, I've rarely ever, I can't recall on our conversation where more transparency is created, big consequence, like downside consequence. What I love about what you're sharing is now people are a part of that. They're co-creating that. And, and I would imagine they're more accountable to it because, and to your point, you also shine a light on, well, here's what's going on. Here's how it affects you. Here's how it affects other people. Another question from Allison wondering, so what prompted you to be this transparent and to empower people to have their voice being heard? I think because I've been on the other side, if I'm accountable to the decisions and if we're trying to do bonuses or if we're trying to work with celebrate profit and I mean, like they put all of this hard work in. So if they have, I guess to back up, we used to run into a lot of, they would come in and go, hey, can we buy this? Mm. So you needed to do your job? Yep. Then buy it. So we started to really open up going, here's your budgets. What are your asks and your wants and your needs? So that again, if things aren't trending the direction we want, there's certain things that we can cut that we know ahead of time. But if you need a screen or if you need a new computer or your computer doesn't work, but we need to again, have that flexible work environment. You don't even have the tools to do your job. At least you can just make that call immediately yeah. and not have to think there's no fear because you've already budgeted for it. You know, it's in there. It's been approved. Do what you need to do to do your job. Yeah. Because if you can't grow as a, as a staff member, what, maybe it's because I'm a very 
passionate person, but if you can't grow and be who you are, then why would you want to work here? Well, it's a powerful question. And, and I've got some of someone that said, you know, this is awesome. I love the environment of trust. And it is, it's profound. And I'm with you in terms of, well, if you're paying people to be in a particular role and to deliver a particular set of responsibilities, commitments to the organization, like entrusting them to make an informed choice about how best to do that, that's really critical. And if not, then what does that say? What does that say about who we've selected, how we've brought them in, how we're leading them? There are bigger macro questions to think about. Well, I don't remember who said the quote, but I've always tried to, one thing I've, again, I've, I've tried to always lead and keep in the back of my mind is I don't remember who said it, but it would never be the smartest person in the room. And if you mm. are the smartest person in the room, either find smarter people or find a different room. I've tried to always kind of keep that in the back of my mind is this, you want to continue to learn and ask other people what they're doing and encourage other people on the staff to go and talk and, and network and build a network of their own where they can have questions and challenge and learn and well and what i love about that answer and again one of the things that i i'm most privileged i feel most privileged being part of these conversations is is the common themes the common threads that come out and i want to pull on one that you just shared about and i love i agree that quote is great right be don't be the smartest person in the room and that notion of humility and and being humble and and open to learn and curious and and respectful and engaged in different perspectives of looking at things. And I hear this time and time again. And so I'm, I'm curious, you know, what do you see the role of, of humble leadership in terms of where we are and, and what do you think are the benefits of taking that type of approach? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it, I think it's a good approach to take because I think it, it resonates with a lot with more, more people. Like if there's a lot more of them than me. So if I don't, motivate them. And if, if I'm trying to fluff it, they all are going to know. So I'd rather go, Hey, I don't know, or I did screw up, but I want to learn as well so that I can help you. So we've taken the approach of it. Like you're going to screw up. It's going to happen. I've screwed up. I want it to be a safe environment where you can say, Hey, I screwed up, but I've, here's my plan. So if there's no, we, we try to operate with no surprises. So I try and do the same with them going, Hey, I messed up. This is something you might hear. This something might come down the pipe to you both to the staff and to our board. I want to have that trust with our board, but I also want them to trust that they can come to me and go, hey, I, I messed up pretty bad, but I'm going to fix it. Mm -hmm. Well, and another question now from the audience, from Alan, really appreciated your comments around collaboration. And so was just wondering, how do you build a, a culture of collaboration? And in particular, in their organization, there can be concerns about almost collaboration overload. So how yeah. do you set up the right kind of mix of ingredients and then put in brackets? I know this may be a tricky question. <laughs> so, no, uh, no, no. It's funny. It's we having, cause again, it was collaborative before, but there was a lot of senior people that had stuck around. We've had a couple of people retirement or retire. We've had a couple of people get poached. So we, I've tried to lead by example on some of that, where when we do the collaboration, if somebody comes in and goes, I think this would be a good idea that immediately we'll just go grab them, whether that's marketing and sales or marketing and finance. If it affects your role, we've tried to have you in the room. It's because the last thing we want is that a decision gets made and we didn't think of X, Y, or Z. So we've tried to just keep going. This is a great idea. Let's get some people in the room and let's put it on the whiteboard. Let's think of all of the risks and the rewards and let's make sure that we're doing it to our standards, but to really make sure that 
the people that need to know that they know and that there's no surprises that finance didn't know or that marketing could have done something different or that we can, again, we always go back to budget as well. So making sure that we're making fiscal responsible decisions. And so that's kind of how we've started to do it. And now really pushing it back on them, asking, does marketing know? Or have you talked to finance or, or so on? Like our office isn't, is, is too small for them, for people to not know. So the mm-hmm. collaboration has been very key for us. We do a lot of events in a short amount of time. Well, and, and thank you again, got a no, great answer. And, and, and what I think as well, what's really interesting about the experiences that you're sharing, Sean, is around taking a questions first approach and then asking thoughtful questions like, okay, who, who, who is it important to be in the room? Who should be in the room? Who should be a part of this conversation? Have we included the right people? And I think sometimes, once again, either through without asking that question that you're posing, which I think is so valuable, is that either we miss including people who should be there, yeah, but, uh, people there that really, do, do we need them in the room at that time? And we've time? actually taken that approach to show the staff. We've had, there's been times where we have people who have, you know, they need to be in the room and we said, we, they'll let you know when they need you. So we've tried to have the team captain approach of, if you're the one doing the event, you're the team captain. You let the people know where you need them, what you need them. But get a little bit of a task force for certain events and have those people in the room. Some, if, if marketing, everyone is in the loop and you need some execution people, the team captain will shoulder tap you if they need you and whatnot. But that we've tried to let people grow in certain in certain aspects, and certain scenarios to just push them out of their comfort zone a little bit, let them learn and help ask better questions for later. Well, and and I think, and again, and, and I can admit my own bias as a as a coach. <laughs> A big part of my own my own practice is that absolutely it's asking key questions, powerful questions, because questions unlock answers, questions unlock options, questions unlock insights that then we can build for a, a better future. So one of the questions I was keenly interested in in speaking with you about is about leadership is all the rage. I mean, people and and it's consistently been and just there's more and more focus on leadership leading during these extraordinary times. So when you think about the qualities that are important for leaders to possess both now and in the future, what do you think those key attributes are? I think they got to have a vision. I think you have to demonstrate that vision. I think you got to be true to your values. Like you got to stick to who you are. And, but even when taking the job, if the, if the job and the corporate values don't align with your values, don't waste your time with the staff's time. I think would be, maybe that's too bold of a statement, but it, I think people need to see your vision and buy into the vision, whether that's now or in the future to be able to, they want to know what they're fighting for. Well, and I love that point about values and the intersection between personal values and organizational values, because going back to your observation, Sean, about being authentic, like again, trying to to mesh those together. <laughs> if if there's a misalignment. So what do you see as, as an executive, the downside risk around when there's mismatch of values? Have you seen that? And what are, what do you feel are the consequences when those two are off kilter? I have seen that I've been around it sometimes, but what we do see is when, when the leadership doesn't have the proper values, I think, I think a lot of it gets hit up with money where I'm going to pay you a lot of money, but then we both know that our values don't align, but you also get paid too much to try and lead. So 
like being in leadership roles, like we're affecting people's lives. You mean like it's, if you're miserable at work five days a week and you go home and you're miserable, like it's, there's people's marriages and people's families. Like again, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what we do. It's a job. Mm -hmm. What we can do as a leader is to try and let people love their job. There's going to be times it's stressful. So what we're trying to do is create that environment where yes, it's stressful, but if you need to just come in and sit down and talk because you're stressed, you're sitting, just let's try and separate each other so that when you leave for the day that you're going on, it's a good day of work. Like it's mm. at the end of the day, it's, it's still work. Like we're still paying you to do something, but we can treat you fairly and with respect while you're here. Awesome. No, I love that. And another question, we keep getting questions in, uh, which is great. Not surprised. So David was saying, congratulations on the one year anniversary of, of the role last August and was just curious, what lessons have you learned in your year in review and any surprises that have come out in your first year in the role? The thing that I've learned the most is, again, I, I watched a lot of people speak. I've tried to watch a lot of leaders in the last couple of years. And a lot of them walk up with the portfolio and they're good at reading their notes. And for me, I don't know what it is. As soon as I put the notes in front of my face and try and do speaking notes, everything turns to another language. So, and so I was, yeah, I was more nervous for the first day of our show for all the interviews than my wedding day, to be honest with you. So I learned real quick that I can't do speaking notes. I can have a couple points, but I actually crumbled them up and threw them in the garbage. So whatever, whatever people ask, you're getting, you're going to get me and you're going to get the true answer. So it's, it's been a lot of fun, but again, I learned a lot about that as it's the public speaking came very quick. I've never been on TV before. <laughs> That's awesome. And any surprises, anything that was, that kind of surprised you about either the organization or yourself through your journey? I don't think you can be too prepared because especially for like, for us, we deal again, we deal with rodeo and we deal with animals and we deal with like, we've got people that are, that are drinking and we've got beer garden areas. And I don't think you can ever be too prepared. Somebody, an animal could go down in the rodeo arena, something could happen in the barns, like just to make sure that you're that you've always thought of scenario A, B, and C and down the line. So that's something that I've really tried to put a large focus on to what could go wrong and how do we have a plan to fix it and whose responsibility is it to fix it? Well, and, and again, I, one of the things that strike me as we continue this discussion is, is how often you will frame things in the form of questions, right? <laughs> like what could happen in these circumstances and who's responsible to step in. These are all Again, these are powerful navigational tools. And, and, and to that point, as you were saying, you know, there's so much that can come at us fast and furious, the pace and an understandable focus on resilience in personal resilience, organizational resilience. I'd love to get your take because again, just even thinking about, Hey, I'm going to join in the midst of sprint, and, and here we go. I'd love to get your take on how can executives, how do you personally maximize your level of resilience and what advice do you have for senior leaders, managers, chief executives around building a resilient organization? It's a great question. And for, for me, it's very simple. I just, again, not knowing what's next for the, again, this is my first CEO role. I've been in events for the majority of my professional lifetime, but just never forgetting where I came from and enjoying the ride. And I, I've, I've said to a lot of people now, I said, I don't know what's next. In my whole life, I've always 
prided myself on knowing what was next or if this didn't work, I could go here. Having a plan and for this time, for the first time in my life, I don't know what's next. Don't have a plan. So trying to enjoy it, but just again, trying to be respectful and treating everybody with respect. And because again, you, you don't know what's next. And just to again, remember where you came from. And there was a time we weren't at the top. We weren't the CEO. So just for what it's worth, yeah, that's what would probably be mine is just to not forget there was a time that we were trying to get to the top. Well, and what I really appreciate about that observation is in terms of enjoying the journey, enjoying the moment, if you will, right? That where you are and, and such a wonderful body of evidence and research around that being more mindful in the moment is, is a powerful centering strategy. It elevates our well-being and happiness and appreciation as opposed to just kind of go, 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 go. It's deep breath. All right, here's where I am right now at this moment in time. And there's no guarantee that the next hour is going to be like this. So let's, let, let's take that time. And so when one of the questions that I come across in conversations that I'm routinely a part of is, and as a chief executive yourself, you know, leading an organization and having an executive team and people who report to you, look to you, and then with the different challenges that they're trying to, to navigate as, as we've talked about, what are some ways in which that you support others in, in fostering their resilience when they come to you and they've got a lot, how do you go about supporting them and, and getting them to channel into their inner resilience? Just trying to do a lot of debriefs. And again, whether the event went well or didn't go well, here's things how we can change. And here's, if we change these certain things, here's what's going to happen. Or using, using your own experience to just show that, you know, there's times it may be a bumpy ride or just trying to be very encouraging and let people know that the hard work you're putting in is paying off and that you see it. And for some people, a certain thank you is very appreciative. So just letting people know that you appreciate them and that the hard work that they're putting in and the time they're sacrificing isn't going unnoticed. And that as a leader, that you do see that and you're thankful for the, for the dedication they show to the organizations. Mm-hmm. There was a fascinating study around, and I think it was pre-pandemic and yet was replicated. I'm pretty sure one of the primary, if not the primary reasons that people leave roles is because of that sense of underappreciation, that they're not recognized for contribution. And I, sometimes we underestimate the power of a thank you for acknowledging people for what they do and how they show up and, and their contributions. And that can be an incredible resilience booster for us. I've got another question, which is great from, from Stacy saying, just starting out my journey as, as an aspiring leader and executive. And so loving the philosophy, like what advice would you have for aspiring leaders in terms of how to get themselves ready for taking on those increased responsibilities? I, I, I'm, I'm a different one to ask. I came into the organization like I was shot out of a cannon. I tried to meet every single person of any type of leadership role. Again, what I did find is that the, the three letters of CEO definitely helped open a lot of doors. So I, I used that when I, when I got it and tried to reach out to a lot of the community mm-hmm. leaders that have those titles and just being open enough to ask of what type of advice they have as well. So I, I've always tried to take that of never ask too many questions. And I've always got time for a coffee for, for almost anybody, regardless of what level you're in. But I've done a lot of sitting down with people that are in a lot larger roles than I am 
within the communities and just asking their path and advice and what their organizations are doing. And it's, it's pretty neat because sometimes you find that what you're doing in your own organization is you're actually on the right track. So it's, a lot of it's validation as well. <laughs> well, and then got lots. Thank you. Thank you. Great answer. And to echo that, Sean, I think that's fabulous because a lot of times what I find in particular as well, I'm curious for your take is that aspiring executives or executives feel like, well, I've got to figure this out. Like it's all on me to figure it out. And I love the point that you're making where it's have a chat, have a coffee, virtual or otherwise, and talk to people, ask questions. People love giving advice. And so it unlocks the potential for new information, like a different way of looking at things or, and I really appreciate your point about validation, like validating our perspective. Well, the one thing that I have struggled with, again, is having, again, I went from senior account executives to directors of teams. I've never been a VP, but then you went and you got that first CEO role. So it's, it's still to this day is where it's, it's hard to say that you're a CEO. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's very, I think they call it imposters, but you just feel that you haven't earned it or that it came too quick or that you're not as experienced or your organization isn't as big as other people's organizations. But what I have found and that I'm learning quickly is that there's people that have large organizations that are still very interested in what you're doing and how you're doing it. It's okay to be a little vulnerable. For sure. And then uh, again, coming back, and I, I love these common threads that we're, that we're weaving together around earlier on being open, being humble, being vulnerable, being transparent. These are things that the more that we exhibit those qualities, the greater the return and people appreciate the vulnerability. It's not weakness, it's, it's strength. And George, I love this, said, I'm so grateful. Thank you for being so open about imposter syndrome. I struggle with that and it's a challenge. So any tips, tools around to deal with that, how to kind of keep it in its place. I have a wife that gives me crap all the time, <laughs> but you, but yeah, it's, it's very, it's, it's having a good group around you. Again, it's just having a good personal board of directors that keeps you a bit in check is a, I've said to a lot of friends, I'm like, I just don't feel like we belong at certain tables because you know, this, you've got large organizations and so it's just trying to, and it's hard because again, when people are trying to be humble, you don't want to have that. I deserve to be here and this is who I am and I've worked my butt off to get this. So just kind of sitting down and reminding yourself that you worked hard and that you deserve it. You wouldn't be there if you didn't. There's again, there was a board or a recruitment agency or there's a panel of people that thought you deserved it. So just to remind yourself that you know, it's, it's okay to give yourself a pat on the back every now and then. It's such, and again, thank you. Got some great comments there as well. Appreciate it to build on what you just shared. There's, I've heard this from multiple people and I may paraphrase, you, you talked about a quote earlier, Sean, and this one sprung to mind and then really connected exactly with what you're saying. It's if you are here, you belong where, Hey, some people have seen value and it doesn't mean to overextend. And now my ego finds it difficult to fit into a door. It's just that, okay, like I've been given this responsibility because people have confidence, have faith in my abilities to be able to deliver. And so that's reminding ourselves of that fact is a wonderful way or a wonderful frame of reference. Time has flown by. We're almost, you know, 10 minutes left. So it's awesome. So such great questions from the live audience and really appreciated your, your observations. Another topic we've touched on several hot topics these days 
probably no surprise, like AI, artificial intelligence, <laughs> it's, it's just all over the place. And you just get uh, all kinds of either just utopian headlines or dystopian headlines. You can almost pick either one uh, out of the out of the media. I'd just love to get your take around artificial intelligence, what your thoughts are as we move into, or some would argue, we're already well into the era of AI, and ways in which that executives, chief executives, can be thinking around this in terms of how it fits within their organizations and how they personally relate with uh, this technology. Well, just when time's flying, I thought you might miss that question. <laughs> I think I, it's very, it's, it's unique, but I think it's still very new. Mm -hmm. The one thing for, for my one thought is you, again, you hear from some organizations that AI's cut, you know, their cost by 50% on certain things. So they've seen fantastic customer service tools wherever and response times and approvals and denials and seconds instead of hours, like that stuff's beyond fantastic. But for us, I just want to, first, we want to make sure that we don't ever lose that element to that collaboration. But I, I think it's, it's definitely unique, but at the moment, like it's just, where's, where's some of us that are using it, where's the data going and whatnot. And I know people are using sandboxes and, and stuff like that, but it, I think it's very unique if used properly. But for us in our organization, we're still very much the, we haven't really jumped on board by any means. We've still, we've still very much value the face-to-face -face and the handshake and, and being the Western way of life, we still appreciate, we still got a clientele that they want to pick a phone call and they want to get a person. Well, back to what we were talking about earlier as well, like lots of questions and things are moving so quickly. It just, the, the trends, the data points. Like how do all these come together? So we've just been through a period of extraordinary disruption and, you know, with the global pandemic and now I sense, and just with others who've been part of the podcast as well, like we're, <laughs> this is going to be a continued period of disruption in, in a, in a different way. Have another fabulous question from Stan, who was wondering in your career thus far, were there any leadership philosophies or principles or practices that you've changed your perspective on in terms of what good leadership looks like. So how have you changed as a leader over the course of your career? I just being really open. There's times when you thought you're like, I don't know if that's for people or then they don't need to know that. And, and seeing how there's certain things or there's certain times previously, that like now that you're at an even more of an elevator role, that you may have said no to things that you thought were very small, but that I can see people took away and you, they'd think about them for a long time. So just of, you thought that when you got in your first time that you had to be hard and you had to be the boss, and that's not true. Like it's, it, it needs to be a team effort and you need to, and you need, and you just need to care. Leading by example and just being someone that you would want to work for. Mm -hmm. That's something I really frame this around is again, if I, I can be whoever I want, but again, I'm married and I have like, my family lives here. Like my, like I have parents and friends and grandparents that you, you just want to make sure that they're proud of you as well. And that the person you're portraying and the person that you are to your team is, is resonating. And that it's, again, if you see somebody at the grocery store or at a restaurant 10 years down the road that they still want to come up and say hello and shake your hand. And just someone that had a positive influence on people's lives is someone that I just want to be remembered for. And thank you. And I think that's, I really appreciate, it. and it's a message I've heard from 
many different guests and and expressed in similar ways. And I and so I want to highlight that point because it's so important that you made about there can be this expectation when you come in as a leader. It's almost like you've got to have all the answers. And I love you know how you described it. It's like hard. Like you got to be tough and hold things close to the to the chest, if you will. And as you progress on our leadership journey, it's like, oh, if I had been more open, if I, you know, I, it's okay to care. And it's even better. It's more than okay to care. It provides exceptional dividends. Like it's actually better for me as a leader and to be successful to care more. I love that you made that point. Thank you. So we've, we've got a couple of minutes left. So before we go, Sean, Thank you so, so much. This has been awesome. Just the time has flown by. I can't believe that we're almost at the top of the hour. So much great insights. We covered a lot of ground, as you can see from the questions, just lots of interest around your experience and your insights. So any final words before we close today? No, just want to thank you for having me. It's really appreciative. Again, I love nothing more than talking leadership. And thank you to everybody that asked a question. And all that I hope is that it just something we've said has resonated or that it's that you enjoyed it, Tillingen. We're just very happy to be here. The pleasure is mine. Uh, lots of validation in terms of using a word from earlier on, in terms of feedback, and people really appreciated your experience, your insights, and particularly your passion. People love the passion, love the passion, great energy. Thank you, Sean. And that's why I was really glad to have you on the program. So until next time, stay safe. Get out there, l- learn, and and uh, enjoy the moment, uh, as Sean was saying earlier on. Thanks so much, everybody. Bye for now. Thank you all very much. Thank you so much for joining me here today on Do Good to Lead Well. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can follow me on Twitter, at Craig Dowden, or reach out via LinkedIn, or email info at craigdowden.com. I look forward to meeting you here next week for another transformational episode.